Once again, welcome everybody. It's really uh, it's a delight to see all of you. And I think most of you know, I hope you know, this Wednesday is winter solstice. It's that time of year, right? The, the longest night and the shortest day of the year. <clears throat> and it marks this transition, right? The beginning of more and more light coming back. And what I love about this time of year is it feels like it's pulling me to go inward. It's like it, it, it feels like solstice time pulls me into my Dharma practice. And it does feel like that, especially the mornings. I wake up in the morning. I don't know if you have this experience. The house is dark and cold. <laughs> and outside, especially here in Flagstaff recently, right? The the snow and that, you know, that stillness that feels like it accompanies uh, those, uh, such cold temperatures. And as I get up, house is dark and cold, I, I bundle myself up into these layers of of clothes and blankets in this cozy fashion and go and meditate as, as daylight just begins to emerge. And also what I love about, about this time is it, it feels like I'm wrapped by a particular flavor of silence that seems to visit me on such cold, dark mornings during this solstice time. So solstice, this turning inward into this cozy cocoon situated around my Dharma practice. And it's in the cozy cocoon, at least recently, it, it does feel like uh, there's such an aliveness in my Dharma practice these days, just uh, given this time of year. So I was thinking as a, a way of honoring this inward turn that's inspired by this time of solstice, I'd like to share with you, it's really just what I call one of the blessings that I found that can emerge from this path and practice. And it's this, this blessing of these moments of untroubled, simple presence, simple mindfulness, or untroubled, simple wakefulness that just seem to come upon one. And maybe you've had this experience. And in, in light of this blessing, I want to begin with a poem that exemplifies this. It's a poem by the poet Marie Howe called The Moment. And it begins, Oh, the coming out of nowhere moment when nothing happens. Know what I have, know what have I to do today lists. Maybe half a moment, the rush of traffic stops. The whir of I should be, I should be, I should be slows to silence. The white cotton cur curtains hanging still. And again, oh, the coming out of nowhere moment when Nothing happens. No, what have I to do today lists. Maybe half a moment, the rush of traffic stops. The whir of I should be, I should be, I should be slows to silence. The white cotton curtains hanging still.
have you noticed such moments before those coming out of nowhere like they're coming out of nowhere those moments of untroubled open and natural presence where you're you're just here right now and those coming out of nowhere moments how she describes them the, the to-do list drops away the self-judgments disappear right those i shoulds drop away and there's that touching of the quiet stillness maybe in the room that you're sitting in and it might last a moment or just a half a moment maybe you've tasted things like this in your life maybe it's that moment or even a half a moment and you've had this experience when your child or a grandchild or maybe your friend's child falls asleep in your arms you know babies can do that and and you feel the weight and the surrender of their body as they're completely asleep there in your arms and that brief feeling of peace and presence that moment coming out of nowhere or that moment when your cat saunters towards you leaps on your lap settles in as you feel them purring just that moment out of nowhere and there you are in presence or the bitter cold breeze on your face as you step outside the moment or just half a moment of the easeful and soothing silence when sitting close to a friend or a partner those coming out of nowhere moments where the clutter of your mind you might notice just stops for a second it drops away and i love the word she uses here and nothing happens and in that space something opens The, the great Chinese poet uh, Li Bai, sometimes also pronounced Li Po, puts it well in his um, poem, uh, Meditation on uh, Qingting Mountain. It says, the, bird, the birds have vanished down the sky. Now the last cloud drains away. We sit together, the mountain and me, until only the mountain remains. those coming out of nowhere moments, something drops away. Sometimes I drop away. <laughs> and then something opens. Only the mountain remains. And I, I wanted to reflect on these moments together with you and to slow down with them because I, I find that these moments, they inform how I am in the world. They, they put things in perspective for me. Whether it's that moment of stillness, that moment of silence, or that moment of connection, it's, it, it reveals, something opens, a vaster landscape it feels like can open into a kind of immensity. And it can be in just one moment. 
even can feel like there's any eternity in that moment. And, it, and, and at least compared to the narrowness my heart can get lost in, in this activity of living and dying. And I want to point out this, this, these coming out of nowhere moments that seem to just arise. It's not like a continual calm and peaceful life is necessary for these to arise. They can happen in our full lives. Like I remember the story that uh, a teacher I was practicing with, Sokni Rinpoche, told. It's, it was about his father, Tokol Urgen Rinpoche. And Tokol Urgen Rinpoche is, is known to be one of the, the great um, Tibetan practitioners in the 19th century. I mean, he's, he spent 20 years of his life on intensive meditation retreats. <laughs> And uh, and his life uh, actually was was quite full because he was a, a teacher who was running a, a monastery just outside of Kathmandu, where he was responsible for so many monks and nuns. And so, Kni Rinpoche tells the story of going to visit his father Tulgarugan Rinpoche, and Tulgarugan Rinpoche would you know he would begin his morning early in the morning maybe three or four in the morning. And he was constantly dealing with the affairs of the monastery up until late at night, 10 p.m., something like that. And then the next day, the same thing. And Sokni Rinpoche, his son, was trying, trying to follow him around and be there with his father. And he was so exhausted. And then he got up the courage to ask his father. He said, um, you know, I think I want to go on vacation. If if uh, would it be okay if I take leave of you and go to vacation to Pokhara? I don't know if anybody knows Nepal, but Pokhara is a, a town in the foothills of the Himalayas, which is a popular vacation destination for Nepalis and also foreigners coming in. And his father, Tulkarigan Rinpoche, this is a generational gap, was like, he couldn't understand the notion of vacation. Like it, it just didn't exist. So he's trying to get a sense of what Sokni was talking about. Like, is there a monastery or a sacred site that you want to go there? Like, it, I just, yeah, I mean, what, what would you like to do? And finally, Sokna Rinpoche just gave up and left, you know, to get, to get a break. But one of the amazing things is that he was completely at ease. It was like he was completely resting in those coming out of nowhere moments. Yeah, his life was full, but something had deeply dropped away from him and something had deeply opened for him. So even in such a life, we can be visited by these moments, and these moments can even tie together. Or Deepa Ma, who's known in this tradition to be this exceptional practitioner in the Theravada tradition. You know, she she was living in Kolkata, raising her grandchildren, taking care of her own kids, and still like, being able to touch into this other space, these other moments. It reminds me of this... Um, phrase that the Buddha uses around his description of one of his lay practitioners, practitioners like you and me, Mahanamba, where he's doing these practices. And it, and the, the discourse says that he's practicing these practices in a house crowded with children. <laughs> so even in these times, practice happens. So these moments, these coming out of nowhere moments that I find can be quite impactful. And 
And I, I find, at least for me, the moments can deeply call to me. They can, it's like a calling to something deeper. This is why I think they're important. And they, they arise out of Dharma practice. In terms of this calling to, to something deeper, I think there's another poem that speaks to this. It's a, a poem by Jane Hirschfield called Tree. I love this poem. So she begins, she says, it is foolish to let a young redwood grow next to a house. Right? So she begins, it's foolish to let a young redwood grow next to a house. Even in this one lifetime, you will have to choose that great calm being or this clutter of soup pots and books. Already the first branch trip tips brush at the window. Softly, calmly, immensity taps at your life. So again, it is foolish to let a young redwood grow next to a house. Even in this one lifetime, you will have to choose that great calm being or this clutter of soup pots and books. Already the first branch tips brush at the window. Those moments, those coming out of nowhere moments, it can feel like that, like they're tapping at my life and reminding me, tapping at the window, trying to remind me there's something immense out there that is so vast and beautiful. And for me, that's what Dharma practice is. It's my gateway into something so immense, so vast, so beautiful. And it, it reveals that I do need to decide, I need to choose. Is it going to be the soup pots, the books, the cluttered, narrow, confined house of me? Or is it going to be the immensity, that calm being? What's it going to be? For you. And I love how she begins. Maybe from one perspective, it is foolish, isn't it, to allow that redwood tree to grow so close to a house. Maybe there is something so foolish about allowing our Dharma practice to grow. Because I know this is sometimes how it can feel. I, I actually, I, I come to a point where I need to decide, is it going to be the immense calm being and going in that direction in my life? Or am I going to stay in the cluttered, confining house? Which one am I going to let go of? Which one are you going to let go of?
So these coming out of nowhere moments, these those moments of untroubled, open and natural presence. The to-do list drop away, the self-judgments disappear. And something opens even in the midst of a house crowded with children. And those moments can feel like that, like uh, like an act of grace, like coming out of nowhere. It reminds me of this saying that probably many of you know that they said that awakening is an accident. It's, it just kind of accidentally happens. That's what awakening is. It just kind of it happens accidentally. It's an accident. And practice, Dharma practice simply makes you more accident prone. That's all we're doing. <laughs> and, and, then, and then it's like I, I stumble upon awakening. And I think in, in the same way, these moments of grace, of presence, are an accident. And when you practice regularly, you become more accident prone. It makes them more likely to seemingly randomly arise in your life. So my job as a practitioner is to simply create the conditions for the grace of Dharma to arise. It's to create the conditions so that these moments that feel like they're coming out of nowhere can arise more frequently and maybe even start to tie together in some way. This is all I'm doing as a practitioner. I create and nurture conditions, these conditions through regular Dharma practice. That's, that's why I find it's helpful and important for me to bundle up in the morning in that tight cocoon to practice regularly, formal meditation practice. That's what's made so much of a difference in my life, the regularity, the repetition of that, the deepening of that in that way. And also the other aspects, facets of this path that we explore here in this community, where they could be either exploring the ethical life, which supports the, the heart opening in these moments to arise, bringing in kindness and compassion and joy and equanimity when needed, wise speech, patience, persistence, you know, mindfulness interspersed into your daily life. And it's the repetition, the regularity that makes this happen. It's the creating of those conditions. Even in coming to a community like this, ah, it's a reminder. And, and I think that the one thing that's been alive for me too is to come back once again, just to mindfulness during the day, to have a sense of that during activities just to pick one for a while, whether it's brushing your teeth, what I've been doing recently when I'm driving, turning off the podcast or the radio, just feeling the steering wheel in my hands. Or the momentary times, walking through a doorway. Oh, here's the reminder. This is the creating of the conditions for the, the grace of the Dharma to arise, or 
for the Dharma to tap at my window like that, to help me choose to decide. Do I want to go in the direction of the immensity or the confined narrow house? And, and I find what the key is to this is I need to practice without expectation. My job is to practice, and then the coming out of nowhere moments, they're going to come when they come. I don't get to decide. And, and I do want to acknowledge to have this, this kind of practice and to let go of expectation, it takes confidence and persistence and patience with this path and practice. And I'm cultivating those to not get hooked by such expectations. And, and this points to the unfolding of this path and these moments that I'm trying to highlight, at least for this practice, I'm not in control of them, but I can influence by cultivating these conditions. Cultivating conditions. Classically speaking, kind of in kind of early Buddhist terminology, really this what this is, is it, it's cultivating the conditions for the wholesome to arise, for wholesome mind states to gain a momentum or Another word that could be used is beautiful mind states. And these wholesome mind states and beautiful mind, state, mind states leads me towards the freedom of this, of this heart, of really fully bringing freedom into this heart. And it is interesting. Grace comes and the conditions coalesce together and the to-do list drops away and all the self-referencing thins out. Something opens in those moments. And what I find is sometimes there can be a fullness in those moments. Like uh, yesterday, what was that? Yeah, Sunday. For those of you in Flagstaff, I was um, kind of on near Sandy's Canyon Trail. I don't know if you know where that trail is on your way out to Lake Mary, if you're familiar with Flagstaff. And I was out there. Still snowing out there, which was really so delightful and so beautiful. And there I was, and there was those moments popping up where the to-do list disappeared and an untroubled, simple presence where something dropped away and something opened. And in some of those clumps of moments, it felt like the whole forest came alive from the grasses still poking out, kind of golden grasses in the snow, to the ponderosa pines and the rocks and the birds, all alive and vibrant. I could like feel it, like I entered into this different world. It's like the whole forest speaking to my heart in a way that broadened what it means to practice the Dharma and navigate this process of living and dying. is quite a meaningful experience. And I want to point out, just to, to because I think this is important in terms of understanding the, the Dharma, the important Dharma insight that's intertwined with such a meaningful experience as this, or the important Dharma insight that's intertwined with any of these coming out of nowhere experiences, 
is that they are what's called, and all of these terms are pointing to the same thing, that these experiences are empty, or in other words, fabricated and dependently originated. And all three of these words are really pointing to the same thing. So I want to use a couple of these to explain the, the kind of wisdom that I want to be sensitive to in these moments as well. Is I'm starting to understand in a bodily way that that such a meaningful experience is in part, it arises dependent upon, in part, upon the qualities arising in this heart and mind. Right? The world that appears to me is partly created by this heart and mind. And this is why it's so important to have these practices I mentioned that I'm cultivating. The more I, I'm cultivating these conditions of the heart and mind, the more they're going to pop up and the more they're going to coalesce to allow a different world to emerge that supports the, the unfolding of this path and practice. This is why I, I made that emphasis of the repetition and regularity of practice. So it's different. It's, it's actually not just random, these moments. They're a co-arising, they're dependently originated based on this heart and mind. This is, this is why it's so empowering to practice. I can't completely control what I can influence. Or in another way, use another word, this moment, this world is fabricated in part from the qualities coursing through this heart and mind. This world comes into being in part due to this heart and mind. This is why the Buddha says in one discourse, he says, in this very fathom-long body, so this body here, endowed with its perceptions and thoughts, do I proclaim the world? The world is arising dependent upon this heart and mind. The, the poet Rilke speaks to this in his, uh, uh, his book, his Book of Hours, or in one of the poems, he, he says, I feel it now. There's, there's a power in me to gather in and give shape to the world. I know that nothing has ever been real without my beholding it. All coming into being has needed me. My looking, or you could say my perceiving, perceiving ripens things, and they come toward me to meet and be met. Experiences come into being in part through the way this mind is perceiving, right? Which is colored by these qualities of heart and mind. When my heart is filled with patience and presence and kindness and openness, there I am, that coming out of nowhere moment happens. And the trees speak to me in this way that feels like it's so intertwined with Dharma practice. And when I'm lost in my worries and troubles, those trees, they're just another object on the horizon that feel distant and meaningless. 
It's because this mind, this heart. So I think Anaya said, 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 we do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. The world is being shaped. And both of these are fabrications. The meaningful world that's onward leading or the meaningless world. They're both fabricated. And I find one is more onward leading for me than the, the other. And I'll say this again. I know I might feel like I'm repeating this. <laughs> I am not in complete control of these worlds arising. And this is also the other thing about practice. Because I want control. I like control. But I just can't have it. <laughs> but there's a place for influence. So I can nourish the qualities that support these coming out of nowhere experiences that support this path and practice and support my heart. It's true, I'm, I'm not in control. Difficult things, bad things happen. And even then when I practice regularly, these qualities of heart support me in dealing with such experiences. And there's a, a person who comes to my mind that I, I think is such a shining star for me, kind of such an inspiration for me that's close to my heart in this, in this realm. And I've spoken about her before. Some of you probably know of her story. Her name is uh, Eddie Hillisom. And for me, she's an example of someone with a heart that experiences these coming out of nowhere experiences that change how one is in the world. Like she's really followed the tapping at the window into something different. And Eddie Hillisum, she was um, she was a young Dutch Jewish woman who spent the last year of her life in Westerbork transit camp. And these transit camps, so this is uh, from July 1942 to September 1943. And in Western Europe, some of you might know this, where the Nazi regime had taken over, Jews were, many of them were interned in these transit camps. And then what would happen is from the transit camps, they were deported to those extermination camps. So they knew once they were in the transit camp that they would be dying soon. As she was there, you can hear her describing that they had discovered, it was quite a, a miracle, they discovered her diaries in this attic of this house, I think in the 1980s, well after she was murdered. Um, and in her diaries, you can hear how her describing how these moments open for her in the midst of such horror, such challenge. So here she is in the transit camp and she writes, uh, the sky is full of birds. The purple lupins stand up so regally and peacefully. Two old women have sat down for a chat. The sun is shining on my face. And right before our eyes, mass murder. So for me, there's an acknowledgement, yes, yeah, something horrible is going on here. 
And yes, there are these moments coming out of nowhere of beholding the beauty and love that's surrounding her. That's a mind that's been cultivated, a heart that's been turned in a certain direction. Such freedom can come from this. So may we cultivate these conditions for us to be touched by these coming out of nowhere moments where something drops away and something opens. Or may we cultivate the conditions to hear the tapping at the window of the immensity that beckons us. May we do so for our own benefit and the benefit of others and for the benefit of the whole world. Thank you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.